My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Dan Elliott and I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly leaving Texas, the teams trending up, the teams trending down. We cover electric vehicles, the 550 package, the Dawsonville Moonshine Festival, and bring on Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta President Rick Humphrey to talk Petit Le Mans. This is Five to Go. They arrested me and they put me in jail and called my pappy to throw my bail. And he said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. It's beautiful and sunny here in North Georgia. Hope it is where you're at. So strap of the driver's seat, put on the helmet, and we're going to take you around the track. we got five racing topics to dissect for you on the 5 to Go Racing Podcast here. Doug Fireball Turnbull from the traffic team at 95.5 WSB. Just a little bit after this recording, I'll be with Triple Team Traffic there and help guide people on a Tuesday afternoon ride. And this kind of weather, I'm telling you, can really throw people for a loop. Yeah, really good weather can be almost as bad as bad weather because so many people go out driving and then there's the sunshine. Eric Von Hessler can't be with us today. He's got a rigorous schedule there with the Von Hessler Doctrine and all the stuff they have to do after the show. You can hear that show every day on 95.5 WSB here in Atlanta on the WSB radio app and in all the podcasting places from 9 to noon and, of course, available on demand on podcasts. But a guy that knows all about the weather and how it affects race cars and how to make them go fast, joining us from the mountains of North Georgia, Dawsonville, Dan Elliott. How you doing, sir? Doing good. Getting ready for a festival up here they call the Moonshine Festival. Hey, so real quick, before we get into racing, racing, that is that this weekend? Yeah, that's this weekend. It's coming oh up. We had Gold Rush this past weekend at Dahlonega, and then um, we've got uh, Moonshine Festival coming up. Okay, well, you know, Dan, maybe I need to figure out a way to get up there then and and uh, check out the sights and sounds of Dawsonville. Give everybody, and we've talked about it on here before, we've even flirted with the idea of broadcasting the podcast from there before. What What do people, if you're anywhere within North Georgia's uh, realm right now, or maybe you want to make a trip to the mountains and you're hearing this from somewhere else. Can you tell people what the Dawsonville Moonshine Festival is? I've been a couple of times and it, it blows me away, but what what is it like for someone who's never been? What can they expect? You know, I think the main carryway, because a lot of people go to either the Apple Festival, Sorghum Festival, North, North Georgia seems to be as the foliage changes and you get the beautiful colors, everybody hits the road. Well, um this was as it started out as fall festival back um i think the first year would have been about 1967 they did it the last three weekends of september and um the festival has grown but one thing that came out of this festival was the numbers of cars and it isn't just the uh, in the beginning, they they kind of featured the moonshine runners' cars, and that has grown because now you've got so many people have cars, and with the way the traffic is on the roads anymore, you and I both know that you can't carry your car unless you trailer one, a really nice car. You might go to Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, someplace like that, but this, for the, for the local people, is kind of the one event during the year that you come out for, and that's what makes it to me so special because you see so many cars that maybe you see them one time a year and this would be it, or 
you've got so many cars that people bring to this event that you've never seen before. And wow, and that yeah, and I, I've been there and had a gander of those, and it's all sorts of you know hot rods, restored classic cars, even newer cars that are just high end, and they they're all usually they're stationed in the big parking lot outside the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame, Dawsonville City Hall, right? Yep, I say it, but you. You not only have the festival atmosphere, which which gives the ladies something to to look at and something to do, but you got something for the guys that, for me, is lacking at a lot of the festivals and events. So it gives the guys and the gals something to do, and and really does make it special to me because it it carries a lot of the same atmosphere. And according to the early look at the weather, it's going to be a beautiful weekend. So uh, this re- it really is enjoy. great weather. Yes, beautiful weather. Hey, it really is, and so I've been up there before. And even when it's in overcast weather, it's beautiful. This is, folks. So it's not as far off the beaten path as you might think. If you've never been to Dawsonville, Georgia 400, which is like a freeway leaving Metro Atlanta, and and becomes a stop and go or a, st- a stoplight highway once you get further north on it. But you go up 400 about an hour north of Atlanta, Highway 53. It's right next to the big Tanger Outlet, so you can make a day of it. They've even got a varsity up there. For those, for those that want to go all the way to downtown Atlanta, go to the Varsity. I mean, you go to the Varsity. But no, go get some of that festival food. You take Highway 53 in, what, about 10 minutes or so, Dan, west of 400? That's the heart of downtown Dawsonville. You see the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame. I assume that's going to be open for everybody. And then you could go in, and you walk. You just They close off 53, right, Dan? And you just walk straight down it and go into town, and it's just tent after well, tent after not, tent. They're not going to close out 53 this year, I don't think. I don't think any of the roads are closed out this year, which I think when when you think about closing off any of the highways around the town, yes, it does clog up the arteries. And uh, this time, I believe they're going to leave the streets open, and we're going to see how that works. But I think yeah. other than other than parking, Parking will be a little bit harder to negotiate, but they've got the middle school and the high school close by, as well as a couple of good-sized church parking lots that you can park in, and there'll be shuttles for people. But this is also to a great event because this is Care for Kids. This is how they raise money for Christmas for a lot of kids that won't have Christmas otherwise. That's right. And and we had, uh, I remember a couple of years ago here on the podcast, we had... Uh, one of the gentlemen on that that helps organize this thing and care for kids absolutely just like toys for tots and operation christmas and several several of the others that are active all around north georgia and all around the united states even care for kids get, getting kids toys raising money and the best thing to do folks is donate money all right to these deals because you can bring toys but sometimes the little kids get more into big kids because we, we like buying cute little things instead of more expensive stuff for the bigger kids so donate money and they'll handle the logistics and, and by paying to come to this festival by having uh, vendors at the festival that pay the entrance fee and all the different ways and enter the car shows that's how care for kids raises money so uh, if you want information y'all just look it up online dawsonville moonshine festival and dan the irony not lost on me that you could park at the middle high school or church and go to the moonshine festival but i love it yeah yeah, isn't that something? It's not all moonshine, yeah. folks. That's just one of the one of the deals. And the moonshine still of the Georgia Racing Hall of Fame with Dan's brother Bill uh, emblazoned upon the stickers, uh, the moonshine up there. Uh, you can always check that out. So 
Thanks for giving us a primer, Dan. Let, let's uh, and I've got to remind everybody too, since we're talking about North Georgia later in the show, we're going to talk about uh, uh, Petit Lamont with Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta President Rick Humphrey, the mid-November event that's the crown jewel at Road Atlanta and one of the biggest events on the IMSA racing schedule, scheduled to be there in Brazelton off another section of Highway 53. That is later on in November. We're going to talk to Rick Humphrey later in the show. But we need to get to NASCAR, Dano, and we need to talk about Texas Motor Speedway, where what we what we entered that race with, the Auto Trader Echo Park 500, one of the few 500-mile races left on the schedule, as Doug Rice of Performance Racing Network pointed out. Dan, we uh, we entered that race knowing that Kyle Larson had the biggest point cushion, and everybody else, even Denny Hamlin, who's saddled a couple of wins lately, are pretty well pushed together. We left that race with a, a really clear picture, it seems like to me, of very still very few people being safe and drivers that almost pretty much have to win. Martin Truex Jr., by virtue of his crash, Joey Logano by his engine blowing, Brad Keselowski by not having a lot of points anyway. They're almost in, not quite, but almost in must-win scenarios, even, even though Keselowski is only 15 points behind the cut line. Kyle Busch is only eight points to the good, and he had some problems on Sunday. Chase Elliott, eight points to the bad. He had an unscheduled pit stop on Sunday. And then that leaves just above them, Denny Hamlin and Ryan Blaney, and Hamlin crashed twice on Sunday and still finished 11th. Ryan Blaney were in well. And, Dan, I just walk out of there with the only one answer. What do you think the only answer I got out of Texas was besides dr- some drivers may need to win? What's the other one answer, the one assurance going ahead to Kansas? Henrik. Even even more specific. Even more specific. It, this is, this is Five. Kyle Larson fool. This is his championship to lose as of this point right now. I I see him very comfortable, and you see it as well as I do. He is very comfortable in the position that he's in and doesn't seem at this point like he's feeling any pressure whatsoever. No, and and then think about all the pressure they did have exerted on them with the alternator issue at the Charlotte Roval and having to drive back yeah. from that, nearly losing a lap. They you had they had or yeah. they had the issue of Talladega with just getting in somebody else's mess, a crash, and ending up with a finish outside the top thirty-five. They they had the issue of Vegas the with the strategy, the- and yet he's well. I just want to say they had the issue of Vegas with the, the pit strategy being off or whatever, and, and him not getting a great finish. All of that being said, he's still won three times in the playoffs. And if you look at the non-playoff standings, to give you an idea of how much faster, better, harder, stronger <laughs> the five car has been than everybody else, Kyle Larson, if we didn't have any playoffs, would have a 237-point lead over Denny Hamlin. And when you think it's one point per position, Dan, that's uh, that's a lot of races there. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of races yeah, a lot of races, ahead. But you get... You get bonus points for different things, but but the other point is the fact that with all the pressure he's not feeling, it's like all the other drivers, and and we saw it during the race as it unfolded. We saw all the other drivers that seem to be under a tremendous amount of pressure, whether yeah. they are or whether they're not. They seem to be some. I'm not going to say they're self-destructing, but but definitely it's rearing its ugly head on who's feeling the most pressure and seems like that some of these drivers are feeling an extremely larger amount of pressure 
just because of the way events are unfolding during the during the course of the race day. Well, and who do you think is? Uh, give me some examples of who you think is starting to feel the most pressure and then maybe crack. Uh, you know, go down the list of the remaining drivers that are in the playoffs, and and you can you can systematically go through that and see. As they said during the race, it was like every time there was a caution, uh, as we watched the race unfold, it was another playoff driver. Yeah. Yeah, it it seemed that way for sure. So you know, I want Denny Hamlin was, and it's a virtue of this package. We're not going to get too much into the package because we've just done, gone back and forth. It's a finicky package. Sometimes the 550 on a cool track seems to work. A lot of times though, the track's just a little bit hot and they can get spread out a little bit. It's just almost impossible to pass except on restarts. And so multiple drivers, Ryan Blaney actually saying a hole. <laughs> multiple drivers saying, hey, the the dynamic now is you have to race like one there you can't race with respect anymore because you can't afford to back out and let somebody in line or or anything else so denny hamlin i think pushing the issue there got got himself in a little trouble and then and then and then got caught up in uh, the the chris busher chase briscoe crash and got his nose caved in and still raced back with a damaged number 11 to finish in the 11th spot. So he was able to save face, but Joey Logano just out of nowhere had an engine lock up and then spew on him. Martin Truex Jr. trying to stave off Daniel Suarez drove down on his nose. Suarez not in a position to lift. Again, we're at a 550 package. You got to stay wound up or you give up a lot of spots. And so Truex just angles that terrible, like 45 degree almost angle into the wall there, crumples the number 19 Toyota. He's out of the event. And then, and then you look too, I mean, uh, Chase Elliott didn't make a lot of noise and he had an unscheduled pit stop and still rebounded to finish seventh. But, uh, and then you look at guys that really needed to go up and throttle the field to do a lot better, like Brian Kozlowski. He still finished fourth and had a good day, but didn't lead any laps. And he's, he's uh, still in a situation. He's got to win real simple. All right. Um, we had a 15 or so car. Let me count. Uh, Cause it was 15 off the top of my head, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Like about 12 or 13 car crash on lap 32, Dan, right after the competition caution. And really any other crash we had after that was right near the Genesis or so of a restart. Um, what did you think about the race in action there at Texas, Dan? I mean, there's a lot of people that comment, I mean, especially drivers with, yeah, crazy restarts, and then you're just there for the ride, making laps and not lifting. You know, they they were pretty critical of things. So, where does it kind of sit with you? I guess where it sits with me is it it just factors in to me on what the life of this season, the the life of for sure has shown me that you can't count anything out on surprises as we get nearer to the end of this playoff season because just as just as we've sat and watched um when you think you've seen it all you see something else and something else comes along so i think this just factors into what we've seen already is that we are in for still yet more surprises before they crown the champion at phoenix a lot of mile and a half races now are 400 miles both the races at vegas At Homestead, uh, a lot of them are 400 miles. Michigan, down to one race, is only 400 miles long. The Pocono races were were shrunk because they were on a doubleheader weekend. 
and even you know, but before that, there was a time where there were 400 miles. Uh, D- Dover used to be a 500 lap, 500 mile race, right? The Budweiser 500, right? It's down to 400 miles. Yep. Texas still has Texas when it was still two full races a year were both 500 miles each, and now it's All Star race plus this 500 miler in the fall. Those so I told I talked about the big uh, giant wad up on lap 32 right after the competition caution. There were two debris cautions right in the middle of of stage two and right kind of in the middle of stage three, <laughs> and then on lap 300, Joey Logano's AAA four detonates. And in the last 34 laps, you had the engine failure, you had the Anthony Alfredo crash at the hands of another car where his car actually burst, the fuel trailed out of it or fluid and caught fire. That was a pretty spectacular wreck. Then then on the next restart, Denny Hamlin gets spun out. Then on the next restart, Martin Truex Jr. and Daniel Suarez collide. And then on the final restart, or uh, the second to last restart, you had... Uh, Busher, Hamlin, and Chase Briscoe all involved. In the last 34 laps, Dan, you had five cautions, and on all of those restarts, Kyle Larson drove away. It didn't even matter at the front of the field. Kyle Larson led the final 218 laps, but Dan, all the action that uh, changed the days of about half of the playoff field happened in those last 100 miles it's not the same thing as attrition that we saw where engines and parts fail and well one engine did but it's it, it seemed like that last 100 miles dan that kind of needed to be run at least in this case maybe yeah i'll agree with that but it comes down to the life of the races anyway where you see the yeah. most excitement anyway so um the, it it's it gets down to the end of the deal and and as the day wears on you you look as a driver at you know what's one more position going to do for me and you're you're running your you're running your guts out anyway and and I just don't understand what the deal is everybody is running the same package and you've got some drivers that are adamant that that package needs to be changed you know yeah. what is it about that package that they particularly don't care about that other drivers you know if you gave everybody their wish list you'd have 40 different racetracks for one race yeah because nobody would be happy with with the current it there's always a complaint about something and i don't understand why they just don't accept what you're doing and and make the best of it but we've heard a lot over the fact of the packages and i guess Kyle Bush has been the most adamant. Uh-huh. He sure he certainly has. Kyle Bush definitely has been. And he actually they cut the audio off, but he actually gave Steve O'Donnell's email address out on his team radio. Steve O'Donnell, the and I'm not going to say the exact title, the vice president of operations of NASCAR, the competition guy. I mean, the guy that is the face that you speak to or the person that comes on Sirius or whatever whenever it's time to sum up a race. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh yeah, so, and, and he asked so, Kyle Bush so upset these last three years, and you've seen it in his win totals and and especially yeah. last season, how he didn't win until this Texas race a year ago. This year he's redeemed himself a little bit, but still not doing what he used to do. And it's and but then at the same time, I mean there's other veteran drivers. Kevin Harvick last year had nine wins, and Denny Hamlin had was it eight or seven wins or whatever in this package, six, I guess. It I mean it's it, you can't point and say, oh, well, only the young guys are doing well. 
Sure, Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Busch have struggled with it, but it seems like even younger drivers, if they had the choice, they want more loud pedal. <laughs> That's as the nature of a racing driver. I don't know, but I want to bring this to you, Dan, before we talk about the Xfinity race and then get to Rick Humphrey. I was thinking about this today. I was like, what, what's something I haven't heard said? This package to uh, me. I, I left a little bit on the table. What's that? <laughs> I left a little bit on the table. Yeah, you, you I haven't might. heard anybody say they've left anything on the table this year. No, I, uh, yeah, well, everybody's got their their foot to the floor of the 550s. But foot now I want to yeah. bring this. So the reason we got to the chase, and now it's called the playoffs, and stage racing, and I, and part of the reason for the 550 package was to spice up the action, right? Because the yeah. marathon idea d- d- wasn't romantic to fans. They, they, that that the when you look at the 2003 title and Matt Kenseth fifth placed his way to a title. When you look at races getting strung out or or the same, you know, they they were trying to cure several things. But yet, when when fans talk about the past. It I, I it's it's talked about in moments, right? The past is more talked about with oh, remember that one time the 1979 Daytona 500 and and oh this race and oh 1986 in Richmond and 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 I feel like if really what's changed is not so much the racing as it is the desires of fans because back when Dan and your I mean in the in the dominant era of the Melling team of the Elliott family team I mean. Those races were not all great, were they? <laughs> I mean, there were no, a lot of races no, that stunk, were. but you had great moments. Yes, absolutely. And then you had races that just stunk, period, and they weren't there weren't very many great moments. And then you had some races that weren't great races, but they were packed with multiple moments of things that happened during that event that made them very memorable. And and that's the thing is we still have the great moments. That hasn't changed. It's just that with the social media, with so many different eyes watching, with less attention span, there are way less fans going to races now for, for many different reasons, and it's not just the product. It's also the idea that to, to spend several hundred dollars in a whole day or two days or three days and maybe a 1000 or $2,000, and you can just stay home and watch it in HD, 4K, whatever, or you could go gaming, or you could go to six thousand festivals and five Ks, and not and barely even leave your town. It's just a different era, guy. I mean, I just I I don't think we we lay so much on the neck of this product or on the net, and and it's like it's a lot of things. And at the same time, the reason we got to this product is they were trying to fix something that I don't know was as broken as people were saying it was. Yeah, and your attention span is how much shorter now than it was then. I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. What was that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's exactly. True. So, so, so shorten the, race the races, be, right? I mean, we need yeah, we so need the race to be condensed. Yeah. Yeah. So we shorten the races. You got playoffs. You got stage breaks. I wish then that we could get back to maybe some more of the. I mean, this is a wish, and it's not very journalistic of me to say this, right? I, 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 Maybe more loud pedal. <laughs> Give me something where these cars have less downforce and more loud pedal. I don't mean the sound. I mean, like, I, I watched it, Dan, uh, and you can watch this on YouTube. It's great. The finish between Matt Kenseth and Jimmy Johnson at Texas 
in 2007, I believe. Yeah, 2007. When Johnson was right there, I mean, in the middle of his championship runs. Those guys threw him on the dashboard, and you could tell. I mean, they were wound up. It was almost a sound I can't even imagine anymore. And and they were well, driving I, on the ragged freaking edge, and it was almost a game of chicken. Who is going to drive as deep into the corner or make it hang on the outside as much as possible? And Matt Kenseth finally he got on the radio and said, "I just couldn't hang anymore." <laughs> he didn't want to wad well, up his I, car and end his championship. He just couldn't hang, and Johnson wrestled that win from him. It was amazing, well, and you just don't get that sense now. It seems like it's a crap shoot and getting away on a restart. Well, I hate to disappoint you, Doug, but the electric car is going to eventually come. And when no, you're looking will. for sound, you're going to have to stick your earbuds in your ears and turn the volume way up and go to YouTube yeah. and find some of that old sound because it's not going to be on the racetrack unless they have a speaker on top of the car. Uh, maybe they'll tape a big boom box to the top of the car and, and they can do the sounds of the V8s or whatever they want to do as they come down the straightaway yeah. for the electric cars. So there's no doubt that the electric cars are coming and NASCAR. And I, I mean, there, there was something, I don't know how many different companies just on Monday this week announced more electric car efforts. And, I, and I'm not getting into that. I, don't, I only have a headline, but it's, there was something like simultaneously several different automakers announced more electric vehicle efforts. NASCAR yep. uh, uh, has said, Steve Phelps just said, I think last week, the president of NASCAR that they, that they they have just announced another partnership that that is getting them in that direction. It is completely possible, and and mandatory. I mean, David Reagan told me a year ago the manufacturers will pull out of this sport if they don't have EV involved. So that's coming. But I'm talking about the pack. I mean, because I, I I'm not talking about the sound. I'm talking about the the thing that people desire romantically from the past. You could probably bring it back. And not worry so much about a race getting spread out or drawn out because the drivers seem to want to hang it out sideways. You know, I mean, that's that seems like they don't what what they want to do. And I just don't think you're going to get a ton more fans back either way. So if you're not really going to get a ton more fans back, let's just make the product better. But no one could agree on what making the product better is. So that, that, there's that. Nope, but and at the, least you know how you're going to power your lights at Talladega. Just unplug the race cars and plug the lights. <laughs> <laughs> they got to get lights there. I mean, for the playoff race, at least. My gosh. Okay. Exactly. Uh, so you got a spare battery sitting in the pits. You can just plug up to the lights and power the <laughs> lights, and, and and then that'll be economically. Uh, you'll fall in the in the green line of racing. Then. Why don't they put a treadmill in each pit stall? And the, with the crew members, they're already over there getting loose. They can all just run on the treadmills, and that'll get a little something going. You keep the truck and Xfinity drivers there. They can all have treadmills, little hamster wheels or something. I mean, it's all working together to achieve a better did, cause. Did right? you read about the sidewalks that you can walk on that generate electricity as you walk? No, but I love the idea. Yeah, there's sidewalks and floors that you can do that generate electricity that are actually powering the streetlights of the particular cities. And as people walk and exercise and so forth, they generate their own electricity. That I I mean I think we got to start thinking outside the box. I, I like that for sure. I like that yeah, for sure. Yeah, windmill on the front of my bicycle. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> it keeps the birds away. All right. So, 
And John, on Saturday's race, uh, John Hunter Nemechek uh, put the 54 car on its back, or maybe the 54 car put John Hunter Nemechek on its back. I don't know how that worked. Anyway, he won for Joe Gibbs Racing there and led 92 laps in doing so. But a driver that seemed to have that race in hand, one of the playoff guys at Xfinity, Daniel Hemrick, as is noted every time his name is breathed now, Daniel Hemrick was en route to his first-ever NASCAR win, and then a late caution, late crash, Brandon Brown stacked the field up, he lost spots in the pits, and away we went. And Daniel Hemrick drove back and still was able to finish second again, but John Hunter Nemechek wins. So, Dan, I, I mean, we've said it on it, but like, I, we talked about Chase before and how many times he was bridesmaid before he was bride. It was something like seven or eight runner-up finishes. The same thing happened to your brother, Bill. Yep. I mean, in Daniel Hemrick's case, do you think that at all affects how he drives the car? Like, at what point does his psyche become a blockade to finally getting this win? Because he's got the speed. You know, every race, it's, it's got to be on the back in the back of his mind because I can remember a lot of the autograph sessions that went to with Bill, and I've heard it before at other autograph sessions where a driver has Mark Martin, where you go to an autograph session and they have consistently done everything except win. And the question always comes up is, when are you going to win your first race? When are you going to win your first race? When are you finally going to win a race? And at some point in time, you pretty much get tired of this question. And if you knew that, you could say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to win Phoenix and win the championship. Okay. So you, you, you can't, you no idea when that's going to happen, but I know that, that Daniel is just driving his heart out trying to, to, to get that first win. Because as I told Chase, when he won his first race, I said, the next ones will fall in line much easier. Yeah. And that seems to be the way it is. You get the first one under your belt. And it's like I said about, uh, Kyle Larson is that he is very, very comfortable in the position that he's in winning as many races as he's won and in the playoffs and actually the car, as I said, if, if anything happens, it will be something of his own doing more than likely because it's, it's his championship to lose. So oh, I look sure. at that the same way with, with Daniel in that, that as soon as you get the first one, but still no telling when that's going to, going to come. And, and that's where, Fate comes in on lining up the planets to where everything finally falls into place. I I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. Control. You do the best you can, but some of this is out of your control. Well, and that's for sure. And I mean, Henry had done everything right there at the end, and then a caution happens, and and you know, strategy. He he had an option to stay out. And not pit and keep track position, but he he and the whole field came to pit road, and then it's just it was on from there. You know, you lose a couple spots and this and that, and and he still drives back and shreds up to second place. But the only car that was faster than him was his threat to win. There, John Hunter Nemechek, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, he came back from a pit road speeding penalty or or, or a loose wheel, one of the two. He he had to pit a second time. He had to give up track position because he should have. I mean, he was the race winner. I mean, he was the default race winner there. Until he lost his yeah. track position, then he was able to get it back because of the caution. All right, so uh, D- John Hunter Nemechek won. Well, Daniel Hemrick was second. 
Uh, then uh, all eight playoff drivers remaining finished inside the top ten. And so you look at the playoff standings now for the Xfinity Series, and they're matched up with the Cup Series, Kansas, Martinsville, Phoenix. So they got two races left in their middle round of the playoffs. A.J. Allmendinger, 30 points to the good. That's fairly safe, but two bad races could erase that. And then there's uh, and then there's Austin Sendrick, Justin Allgaier, Noah Gregson. Uh, Allgaier and Gregson are four and two points, respectively, good to the cut line. Hemrick's right behind him. Justin Haley's right behind Hemrick. And then Harrison Burton and Brandon Jones are almost in that win-or-go-home territory. They're, they, and they don't have the speed, I think, to outpoint people. So it's really going to be a matter of winning. Much like the Cup Series, Dan, the Xfinity very close and the margin of error very thin. And you know Hemrick on the wrong side of the cut line, much like Chase Elliott in the Cup Series, has the speed to do it. So that's going to be fun to watch play out. Maybe at Kansas, but uh, certainly there at Martinsville. Um, uh, Coming up here, Dan, uh, we're going to get to Rick Humphrey, who's a Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta president. But uh, any last parting shots you want to leave there about NASCAR and and what's coming up at Kansas, another mile-and-a-half track, 550 horsepower, uh, and anything else? No, I think that we're we're really at a point at which you really can't even predict what's going to happen, and I think it's just going to be as it's set out to be from mid-season on. I think it's just going to be an exciting playoff, and um, I, I can't wait to see the next surprises coming around the band. Uh, there's certainly going to be some there, and you think about what's what's been brewing between certain drivers, particularly Harvick and Elliott, although that seems to be mostly over. Uh, and by the way, Dan, yep. Kevin Harvick got asked if there's anything he looks forward to in the final three races, or the, the final, the, before the end of the season, and he goes, yeah, that there's only three races left. That's what Harvick said. This is a guy that won nine races a year ago and led over 1,500 laps, and he's won zero races this year and led only 200 and something laps, where Kyle Larson is now very close to setting the laps led record for an entire season. He could technically hit that so that that just shows and how then, much you've been better than Larson Jr. And then did you see where Tony Stewart's going to start his drag racing team? Yeah, talk to us about that. So, yeah, I, I did see that news at the end of last week. So, yeah, Tony Stewart, and we know he's engaged to Leah Pruitt, so lay that out for us. That's all I know is what was briefly talked about is that uh, be a drag racing team. So, uh, don't know all the particulars on that just yet, but wanted to, the folks to know that that they can look up uh, some of that and and see what he plans to do. But um, it really does surprise me in a way because does this add to the suffering of the Cup team because the Cup team hasn't exactly been the strongest, as you were pointing out, and that's what brought me to that, about Kevin Harvick is, is does this take away even more from the Cup team? Well, for sure. So, um. Uh, Well, I do wonder about that because Haas is very much involved in F1. Stewart owns Eldora. He owns what is the All-Star Circuit of Champions. He owns one of the uh, dirt racing series or multiple dirt racing series and the Superstar Racing Experience and now Drag Racing Team. And Yeah, I mean, they've got good people in place to run that team. I mean, Tony Stewart being at the shot, I I don't think it's as important as we think. Which one? Which one gets the top focus? Which one gets? It's like we were talking about about the if you've got four teams within your organization, who gets the most funding? Where does the most funding go to? All right. So now we're kind of uh, we're, we're kind of 
thinning out the pot just a little bit more to me. I don't know. We're, time will tell. Right. So t- Tony Stewart is uh, got Leah Pru- uh, uh, Leah Pruitt joining his dr- drag racing team, and I'm um trying to see the other driver is uh, and uh, Matt Hagen. Matt Hagen. Matt yeah, Hagen. Matt yeah. Hagen. And and so and and it's like they I think they've both been with Don Schumacher racing and drag racing so it's and yeah that he's kind of taking from that organization and is starting his now own is deal. Sponsorship is is the sponsorship going to be Toyota? Uh no, it doesn't say that. So I, I'm sorry I don't have the hard facts right in front of me. I would I, would, I did not come as prepared. Uh, so um. Yeah, the manufacturer has not been announced. Pruitt and Hagen both have strong ties to Dodge, to Dodge, whereas of course Stewart and NASCAR is tied in with Ford. So that's not yeah, been said, at least the, the article I'm reading here. So yeah, that's I, that will be interesting. Rumor. But you know, he could he could have multiple manufacturers, Dan. I mean, Penske's a Chevrolet team in IndyCar, and then and and Ganassi has a Honda in IndyCar, and then they run different makes in NASCAR, right? So it's I don't know that that's a huge issue. I don't know if it's a huge issue, but it really does factor into what are your, what's your number one priority. And if you try to make all of them your number one priority, someone gets left out of this deal. Uh, sorry, it, it, with, with all the best intentions, it still kind of falls short for somebody. Well, that, that's a good point for sure. Hey, it seems like this is an odd time to do it, just given the performance of Stuart Haas Racing. But if you had said this a year ago, it would have seemed like an okay time because they're doing all right. So I don't know. It's it's tough to know. All right, well, look, Dan, let's pivot here. So we've gone NASCAR racing. We talked about the Dawsonville Moonshine Festival. We sprinkled in a little drag racing. Uh, Formula One's coming up at Circuit of the Americas soon. But coming up at Michigan Raceway Road Atlanta is Petit Le Mans. And we're going to bring on Rick Humphrey from the track to lay that all down for us. That'd be awesome because I love Road Atlanta. It's a beautiful racetrack. And for people who's not been there before or had the pleasure of being there, it's an awesome facility and uh, one that I wish Cup had run on a long, long time ago. But I don't, I don't know what the holdup is on that. I don't know if it's the infrastructure or what it is, but can't wait to see the first big, big NASCAR event there. And uh, with their, uh, to me, the signature deal so far has been the Petit Le Mans, and uh, that brings an awesome crowd in itself. Well, it certainly does. And with no NASCAR event on the horizon, it's interesting. NASCAR does own IMSA to see where they lean in with that and what, what IMSA is set to do this weekend, because that's an ever-changing series as well. And I say this weekend, yeah. I mean with this forthcoming event. So let's hear right now, folks, from Rick Humphrey. All right, thank you all for t- tuning in and listening to 5 to Go. And Dan and I t- today have had a, a tremendous conversation covering a lot of NASCAR aspects. But as we alluded to throughout this we got to go left and right turns and not in stock cars. And so we thought we would uh, bring some. Uh, th- this is the most prolific road racing event that happens in the state of Georgia. And, and I would say probably one of the most in the country. So Dan and I are pleased to welcome on the, the president, head honcho, Grand Poobah at Michelin Raceway. Not all those are on the uh, business card. Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta and ahead of next month's Petit Le Mans, Mr. Rick Humphrey. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for, for having me on. It's a it's a pleasure to be with you guys, and uh, I listen frequently, and uh, it's quite the honor. 
Uh, well, the honor is ours too. And I know Dan has worked on a lot of cars for people that have tuned on them and gone out there and gone racing and, and some of the other weekend events that you have out throughout the year. And of course, I've been up to the track several times and you and I have talked before, Rick. So let, let's lay this out. But before I want to ask, I want to cover how you got into this job and in your NASCAR history. I want to talk about some of the other things that go on at Road Atlanta, but I, I've got to ask you. I felt like I had missed Petit Le Mans. IMSA is not something I follow like I follow NASCAR. I do respect it, but I don't cover it week to week. I can't tell you who all the players are and the point standings and do silly season and all that, right? And then I'm going, wait a second. And, I, and then I passed a billboard that said it was in November. And I'm like, what? How did I miss that? Usually I hear all about this, and now I'm starting to see the commercials and everything. So hey, tell us when the Petit Le Mans is and then how it got there because I know it's later. Yeah, so it's a uh, Petit Le Mans is uh, is, is the weekend of November 10th through the 13th, and you're right. Historically, uh, it is uh, it's in the early October, late September, early October time frame. Uh, traditionally, it is the season finale of the IMSA WeatherTech Series uh, each year, and so uh, like a lot of other things uh, over the last couple of years, uh, it was moved to November. Uh, mostly related to a COVID situation or to the COVID situation, I guess I should say. Um, so Le Mans, uh, 24 hours of Le Mans in France was moved to August and it landed on a weekend that IMSA had scheduled to race at uh, Virginia International Raceway, so VIR. So uh, through a, a accordion of uh, schedule changes, I guess you could say, um, VIR took our October weekend. Uh, we raised our hand when the question was asked, do you want to host a season finale or do you want to stay on your October weekend? And so we made some changes and in order to keep the season finale, we ended up uh, the weekend of November 10th through the 13th. So the dang COVID bug bit us again, but we are we're honored to be able to continue to host the season finale. The weather, uh, you know, obviously in Georgia, it could be scorching hot, it could be cold, uh, who knows, but we're looking forward to it. But the one thing that is is very interesting about the new date is that Petit Le Mans is a 10-hour endurance race. So it begins at 12 o'clock on Saturday, wraps up around 10 o'clock uh, uh, Saturday night. Uh, historically, it happens before time changes. Uh, this year, it's going to be after time changes. So you're looking at approximately half of the 10-hour event is going to be under the lights, going to be in the yes. dark. So... Uh, there's a neat element that uh, that 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 is going to maybe be a game changer. Uh, you know, I'm not real sure what the you know, and, and again, with all due respect to, to race car drivers, uh, they are sometimes day to day, minute to minute. Uh, I don't know if they've thought about it, you know. So <laughs> if, you, if you think, wow, I'm going to go run 10 hours and historically uh, maybe three hours has been under the lights in the dark. Now you can run half of it. And uh so this is interesting dynamic, interesting twist. And and IMSA runs four endurance races throughout the year. They run the Rolex 24 in Daytona. They run the 12 hours of Sebring. Uh, they have a six-hour event at Watkins Glen. And now uh, Motul Petit Le Mans wraps up the endurance season. Only uh, only the Rolex uh, probably has, well, obviously it's a 24-hour event, so it has more time under the lights and at dark. But both uh, Sebring and Watkins Glen, uh, you know, they, they have a majority of those events are run uh, in the daylight. So interesting twist to, to point yeah. out with the date change. So uh, one of the things I've, uh, and I want to say struggled with, I mean, it's, it's whenever, whenever I go to, when I've seen road racing or I've seen sports car racing and the multiple classes, right? I want you to, what do you think the best way is for the casual fan to try to figure out where their driver is running? Because 
I know, and I know most people that they, they, they don't watch racing like I watch a three-hour NASCAR race. All right, where I I am plugged in 100% on the leader, and then my guys run a tenth or whatever. No, it's it's more of an event, like a whole. I mean, it starts on Wednesday, right? November the 10th, it's a Wednesday. So, so how do people like? Do, is there stuff that Road Atlanta provides, stuff that IMSA provides, uh, an in-house radio broadcast? Like, how do you recommend? For maybe not the elite, the most casual, but not the most expert fan, like the average fan, to follow the standings. Yeah, so it it is uh it, it is something to educate yourself on for sure, and and the opportunity that uh, is presented to uh, both the the casual fan as well as the veteran fan is is one and the same. So when you come on the property, um, obviously you're going to have the variety of things like programs and fan guides that will provide you with information. Um, you know the, uh, the the radio broadcast is is broadcast over a a, a local station here on the property. Uh, but you know most importantly during the ten hours. Uh, we don't have grandstand seats here, so it's all general admission. So you can come in and move around. If you yes. like what you see in turn seven, you can stay out there for most of the day. Or if you want to come watch around the front stretch, you can spend some time there. Um, also, turn seven's the hill, right? Like right at the crest of the track. Where is that? Is that where I'm thinking about? No, where there's seven, big. Turn seven is the hairpin out towards the back. The S's come up the hill uh, at, at, in and around turn five. So okay. the uh, the opportunity uh, also, um, you know, the, the paddocks are open. The paddocks are what we refer to, what, what might be referred to in the NASCAR world as the garages. Uh, all fans are welcome to come into the paddock, uh, engage with the teams, look at the cars, you know, and, and kind of familiarize yourself. And then the one thing. Hey, uh, De- oh, I'm sorry, Doug. Uh, I'll take you up there sometime. Turn seven is the one I usually miss the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's right i i, that is, I knew there that was, is I knew the it was around to, here so to, i'm sorry i missed that yeah. yeah but see we got the we got the right. open paddocks you got people all over the place there and i mean dan you know this track's over 50 years old right so, so dan i know you have some history you've, you've tuned on cars there now i've learned you've driven this track so i mean <laughs> chime in here please yeah flown into the back straightaway at times before too so um there was probably some illegal landings on that racetrack a lot of times. So don't know if you knew very much about that or not, but uh, I think it, I think that happened until somebody got one of the wires, one of the speaker wires or one of the wires that crossed the track on the back straightaway. I think that so, happened. So people thing. were landing their small airplanes on the racetrack so they could just go race yeah. there or. Yeah. Yes. So, and then they pulled a Curtis Turner, and, uh, and they just, they yeah. almost pulled a final landing for sure. But I wanted to ask about and 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 I know y'all are deep into this, but I I wanted to ask Rick about um, the drift. Is is drift still active there? Do you still have Formula D? We we do. That is uh that is our second biggest event of the of the year, Dan. And we, what we do is uh we have what we call a spring season and, and a fall season. And that spring season uh, consists of of a Moto America uh, professional motorcycle event uh, that includes super bikes that has a series that runs around the country. Uh, Formula Drift comes uh, traditionally on Mother's Day weekend and runs Saturday night, Friday and Saturday night of Mother's Day weekend. That's a big crowd. And then we have a large historic event that comes in April as well. That uh. Uh, the MIDI uh, that's put on by uh, HSR, and then Trans Am comes in in March. So we have a, a big spring season, and then the fall season is obviously highlighted by uh, Motul Petit Le Mans. 
that that's a great, and then there's schools. a lot of the go ahead dan i'm sorry now how about driving schools um do you have driving schools that are are teaching or are operational there so we, we do at one time uh skip barber uh was based here they're no longer based here but they do come about three times a year and offer four and five day programs for people to come. Uh, they were just here recently, a, a couple of weeks ago. But so we do still offer uh, uh, the Skip Barber Driving School here at, at Michelin Raceway. And the Dodge, how about the Dodge driving experience? So right now that is that is not a, a, a something that comes to the track, but um, for example, here in uh, the first, well, I guess in the next couple of weeks, the AMG Driving Academy will be here. Next year, we're going to have uh, a Lexus Driving Performance School that'll be here. BMW is looking at coming uh, as well as Porsche. So again, a lot of interactions, a lot of activity uh, that the OEM partners bring here uh, throughout the year. And then during uh, Petit Le Mans as well, uh, they'll be on site with displays and, and interactive activities. I think that's GM incredible. Is it? Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. I keep talking GM over you. <laughs> how, about, how about the Gen 7 testing? So right now, we haven't had any NASCAR uh, testing on the track um, as as of now, and and really haven't. Uh, no one's really interacted with us about the opportunities to do that. Um, that doesn't mean that down the road, as uh, as we have all seen NASCAR. Uh, mixing or shaking up the schedule uh, over the last couple of years that something uh, something might land here. Um, right now, it's not in the in a two or three year tunnel, I guess you could say. But uh, I will say that there may have been some hands raised, including mine, for some opportunities. Uh, well, and that's that's a great that, that, that's a great question though, Dan, because I know um, the closest we've had, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. So I know there was there used to be testing at the track right so there used to be i mean brad keselowski had very famously in 2011 busted his ankle and then that kind of that was sort of the turning point of his career that's when he started winning a good bit and in, in <laughs> late in that season in that two car in his in his first year driving the number two um but then there was also uh after the knn east series race for several years aggression motorsports park nascar buys uh road atlanta or in IMSA and everything like that, it's all it's all kind of the package deal. And then there, for at least a couple of years, there was K and N East racing there. A am I am I forgetting some older days, past decades, the old Bush series racing there? Or I know they were at Lanier. Yeah, so there was a couple of years where the Bush series raced here uh, at at Road Atlanta. Um, Daryl Walter, Bill, maybe even raced here. Uh, I'm not sure, but I know I think Daryl Walter won the race back in the in the mid '80s uh, here at Road Atlanta, and that was back before. Uh, uh, they had the uh, uh, gravity cavity, I think they called it, where the there wasn't the uh, there wasn't basically the 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 left hand turn as you come down the back stretch that is now referred to 10A and 10B. So the cars would go down the hill and basically it would just suck you down in the seat, is the way it was described <laughs> to me. And uh, so that was uh, I think they came here for a couple years, and I think uh, uh, I think that got the attention of some folks. The pilot of our helicopter, so you know, the WSB traffic team, our skycopter, um, he his he goes by Bob Howdy. He he didn't like his name said places. So, and there's probably reasons for that that I don't know. But uh, Bob Bob Howdy, he uh, he was a Gwinnett County police officer, and he also worked very closely with some stuff behind the scenes with Rick Hendricks dealerships. And he had some opportunities back in the day, back in the '80s, back around the time when Daryl Waltrip would have run that race to actually run. 
Corvettes around Road Atlanta with Rick Hendrick on the course, and I'm pretty sure that Rick Hendrick had a stock car there that that uh, Bob Hattie drove. But Bob Hattie has experience from go karts stuff in the past and, and motorcycles and things, and and he said it is uh, I'll just say pucker factor Zulu. <laughs> all right, uh, running running that part of the track. All right, so uh, Dan, what was your racing experience like there, Road Atlanta? I want to get to that. You talked about landing an airplane, but you said you've missed turn seven before. I, when did you race cars there? I played a little bit back in the day because I've done a lot of work for people that have been there running, especially the midi. So you get opportunities to go and you go play a little bit. But I asked about the Dodge driving experience because that was one of the things that I went over and did for a couple of years there when when you had the experience there and, and you could drive a you could drive a charger, a challenger, a viper, yes. and a SRT Jeep and uh a, a variety of other things and you got the opportunity to really i really thought it was one of those deals where you just go over and ride around but it's a lot like any other driving experience where you're pretty much full tilt as, as hard as you can as hard as you can run and and that is such a neat racetrack i agree with that with with not having the the turns at the end of the long straightaway the little chicane i call it uh at the at the end of the back straightaway because i'm telling you what even in those stock chargers and challengers you could run about 135 down the back straightaway and, wow. and that is mild compared to motorcycles or cars or or your full tilt race cars that can run upwards of probably 150 160 170 down that back straightaway what, what are we looking at top speed rick and that, that was great insight dan what are we looking at top speed rick for the for the ems of cars and i know there's you know several different classes different speed limitations and all that but uh, i guess uh, uh prototype is that the top class right it so is. so so real quick so um so during petite Le Mans, so during the 10 hours there'll be five different classes of of cars on the track so your speeds are varying so imagine being out there on the track you know reaching 180 190 maybe sometimes 200 going down the back stretch and all of a sudden you're approaching a d a gtd car that doesn't have the same speed oh, oh and by the way may have an amateur driver in there so you don't know necessarily who's driving you might recognize the car oh well, by yeah. the way five hours of it's in the dark so good luck that that's amazing. That's amazing. And if there's a little bit of weather too, uh, that could also. I mean, I, I know that the no, ideal promoter, conditions. Promoters don't have weather. We don't. We don't have weather. That's though. true. That, right. Never mind. Right. So we'll we'll edit that part out. So that that really is is crazy. And what I highly recommend to people is don't don't go there with the expectation. If you're a racing, uh, not a race. If you're a NASCAR fan, that that which is my baptism into this, right? Don't go there with the expectation of. Two three hour race side by side all that the whole time like no go there with the expectation expectation of this is a this is a plot that's building up over a period of time and go there armed with the, at the very least a fully charged phone so you could do timing and scoring and, and figure out when driver changes are because they I mean it, what's the minimum they have to a driver could go I know they have. You have they, to change every so often. So they, they do have minimums and, and in the endurance races. So typically there's, you know, like I said earlier, there's only four endurance races within the, uh, the, the 11 race schedule. Um, however, when they come to these endurance races, these teams expand their driver roster. So for example, Jimmy Johnson will be here uh, racing a, a Cadillac 
uh, right. with uh, Simon Pagano, and uh, I'm trying to pronounce his name Kubashabi. I think is is the way to pronounce his last name. Kubi, Oh, they yeah. uh, won the 24, didn't they? Or they yes. almost won the 24. Yeah. 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 And so, so Jimmy Johnson's going to be here. Uh, and again, the driver changes, the driver minimums, keeping up with that and, and understanding what all's going on. And you asked me earlier, how can a fan keep and keep track of what's going on? So each, uh, each car is equipped with basically a scoring monitor on the side of the car. And so each it's lit in a mm-hmm. way that each color represents what class they're in. So, for example, uh, the LMP3 will be in orange, followed by a number that represents what place they're in in their class uh, for for Petit Le Mans. But you mentioned, you know, don't come uh, expecting maybe a, a two or three hour uh, with a NASCAR type finish. However, I will say the last couple of years have been right down to the line where somebody makes a mistake with the second place car pressuring right. them late in the race. And, and, and even I am amazed at how they can run for 10 hours and they can't get, can't get away from each other any more than they can. Right. No. And that's what I meant that. I, I don't think I fully fleshed that out. What I meant is, is don't expect at hour four, you know, saw beating and banging and all that, but, but wait till the end and see what happens and who they strategically place for the last stint in the car. And if there's a late full course yellow or a mechanic, I mean, this is a 10 hour race, Rick, we're, we've stopped seeing this very much in NASCAR. Dan and I talk about this almost every week here on five to go. The attrition rate does exist. <laughs> Maybe because parts fail and people miss turns and the amateur driver does the dumb thing. And I mean, there, there are actually a lot of factors that maybe people don't give sports car credit for having. Right, right, exactly. And so, and these guys, uh, you know, it's amazing the amount of talent that that is in the paddock and and the amount of, they're expecting uh, probably a 40-car field for Petit Le Mans, which is up quite a bit uh, over the years. And so it, it's just going to be a very exciting event. Um, it, it continues to get better. This is our 24th anniversary and, and looking forward to next year, having uh, obviously looking forward to next month, first first and foremost, but then next year, the opportunity to celebrate the 25th running, and uh, we're looking to have a, make that a pretty big deal. Uh, we're here with Rick Humphrey, president of Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, and, and Dan and I you know, heard your name for a long time, and that's you know, because of our stock car background. So you've been uh, in the NASCAR organization, and this is very technically a NASCAR-owned track, although we're not seeing NASCAR racing <laughs> on the things you've been promoting here. Uh, although IMSA is owned by the governing body too. So but how did you get to this spot? Because you went, uh, from what I remember, you've been from the most NASCAR-y of places to, <laughs> to coming to a totally different discipline. So how, how did you get tapped for this and what, what's been your path through racing? I love the fact, by the way, can I just interject that I, I'm on the phone or on this meeting here with two people that have track president roles dan for his years at gresham and then you right now michelin raceway so i'm i'm honored but how did you get to where you are so i i've uh, been fortunate to uh to spend uh probably about 20 years in motorsports so my career has been since uh, the early 90s in motorsports started out on the pr side uh and in 97 ended up in, in talladega alabama after swearing off the place in in 94 no joke i went there in maybe 93 or 94 and dan you remember back the july august races and oh, i kid you, yeah i kid you not i walked out of that hotel about 6 30 that morning sweat is just pouring off of me just pouring and i'm I, I got to the track and i told my boss i said i tell you what if i never come back to this place i'll be better for it and then ended up in 97 taking a job there and spent uh, a good part of my career there 
Who'd you do PR for before we get to the time at Talladega? Because I think this is interesting. Yeah, so so in, in 90, uh, 93 and 94, uh, I was the PR rep for McDonald's. And uh, so Hutch Strickland and Jimmy Spencer. Yes. And, right, and also helped. Uh, I was on the on the on the program when uh, when Bill transitioned over at the end of 94 for his 95 season and was in Dawsonville and, and uh, Steve Jones worked with Steve Jones on the announcement. And Dan, you may remember I was working for Larry Camp at the time. But so yep. prior yep, prior to the. Prior to the 95 season starting, I took a job at R.J. Reynolds and, and, and worked for them for a couple of years prior to going to Talladega back when they were involved with Camel and Winston on the, the NASCAR circuit. So you were the, the a or one of the PR reps for McDonald's when the McDonald's curse began. The, uh, no, 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 no. We, we, I was on the team when I, well, I wasn't on the team, but I was a representative. I was the PR rep when we won in 94 at, at Daytona and Talladega. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, so the curse started started after that. It's okay. It started yeah. after. Well, they but they the curse started. What well, what I mean is the Bubba winning at Talladega yeah. and the McDonald's car. I just think that's great that it. I mean, it's t- terrible that it lasted so long without them going to victory lane. But the fact that it happened both times at Talladega uh, is is pretty neat. And you were so you were on that team then. You go to R.J. Reynolds and it's the Winston Cup Series at that time. And then you actually get hired at the track that you'd sworn off. So. <laughs> What job yeah. did you have there, and then what yeah. was your path after that? Sorry to interrupt. So, <laughs> no, that's fine. So I was I was fortunate enough to start out in, in PR and then uh, elevated to uh, track president from uh, 2000 and I guess 2008 to 2010, and then ended up in Daytona taking a a corporate job down there. Uh, transitioned back to, uh, for a couple of years at Barber Motorsports Park, where working for the promoter there, and then came over here uh, to Road Atlanta in 2014. So uh, been around the block a couple times, it seems like, but I've uh, been fortunate to spend uh, a career in in motorsports that I have enjoyed and has been um, been very blessed and, and has provided very well for my family. I, I do say that when people ask me how do you get in, I say it's harder to get out. <laughs> it's harder to get out, it seems like. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Rick, did you know that Ronald McDonald rode in the 1995 Daytona 500? <laughs> I don't know that I did. <laughs> I, had a, I had one of those little Ronald McDonald dolls, and I tie-wrapped it to the roll bar, and it rode in the Daytona 500 in 1995. Uh, that the uh, interesting note on that is that uh, I don't know yeah, if you guys yeah I got Bill I got Bill to sign that thing after the race and I thought to myself this is probably the only race Ronald McDonald's rode in. <laughs> See, the, and then the next week at uh, Rockingham, the Hamburglar rode and they failed inspection, right? So that no, I'm just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's so. Wait, what? What a bit? Wait, did did y'all auction that off, or what? What'd you do with the signed race driven Ronald McDonald? Still got it on the shelf here at the shop. I love that. That is great. That is great. Well, I, 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 I talk to talk to Ronald McDonald every day. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I, you saw me get up, I and mean, those listening don't, are not seeing this on video, but you saw me get up out of my seat a couple of times. I have a shelf over here that's out of sight of the camera view that, and I was looking for, I've got a mug over here that's the, not the Bill Elliott McDonald's mug, but it's like the Jimmy Spencer one. And I was going to wave it up for you to show you that I've managed to, I've had bequeathed to me over time for multiple people, a lot of Bill Elliott stuff and a lot, a lot of old racing stuff, but, uh, wasn't able to flash that for you. So we're here with Rick Humphrey, get president of Michigan Raceway Road Atlanta. We've heard your NASCAR path. And then let's let's lay it out for the future of Road Atlanta. I see that uh, in December, and I love this, and I didn't even know this was at Road Atlanta because I've just seen it at other places like Sonoma and other. There's the 24 Hours of Lemons 
So you've got yeah. Petit Le Mans, sip some champagne, and then we've got the 24 hours of lemons, and the cover picture is an Oscar Mayer Wiener sedan. So let's <laughs> let's break down. We're going to go from the elite to whatever that is. Can we talk about the 24 hours of lemons? So what, what they do is over a two-day period, they, they will they will spend 24 hours out on the track. And uh, this is uh, this is a group that just has a lot of fun. They they have a lot of fun. They don't put a lot of money in their cars. And, no and if I'm not mistaken, there's a there's a claiming rule. So you if you you know you you in order to keep money down, if uh, if you beat me, Doug, and I get irritated, I can just come over for five hundred dollars claim claim your car. Well, <laughs> if you if you've got more than five hundred dollars in it to win the race, well, shame on you. I just bought your car, and if you've got you know if you've got two thousand in it, well. I just I just earned fifteen hundred dollars, and so so wow. in order to keep costs down, it's a it is a very very fun event, and it's one of many that we have uh, out here that that you know there are some very serious things that go on out here. Don't get me wrong, there's some, there's some the, the the track days, the professional racing, but I would say that the twenty four hour lemons is, is is one of that they they are having fun for sure. That is incredible. So I did not know about this claiming rule. Dan and I talk almost every week on this podcast or every other week about the costs of NASCAR. Uh, Dan, that's some sticking point with you. What if we could just say we could make a number, even if it's $100,000, and say Rick Hendrick could buy a Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota if it won the race for 100000 bucks? since that's probably like only a third or a sixth of the cost of the car. What do you think, Dan? Is that how we keep the price down in NASCAR? Well, there, there are a uh, little caveats that go with this you also have to compete and you also have to i believe finish in a within a certain position to be able to do this so and Uh. then if you do this in nascar whether you have those provisions or not uh it's irrelevant to me because once you get over a certain amount of money i'm out of it anyway (laughs) um So I don't know that there's any need to go there. I think doing what Rick does as far as the car clubs that come in, a lot of times are the best way to go have a good time. And once the clubs get in and you can go there, it's such a beautiful facility. And and, and you just don't realize how much fun it is to go even with a club. If you can't afford to rent the racetrack for a weekend, then go in with a club, and 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 if you've got a a Corvette or a Mazda Miata or anything, go in and and just have some fun because you can do the same thing, and and that is such a challenging racetrack. I can promise you that is a challenging racetrack, and you run some speeds that you don't realize you're going to run, but you have a great time. So. You're right. Yeah, ahead, and, and all those, uh, you can go to our website at RoadAtlanta.com and the track schedule is on there. And so to list the various clubs that'll be coming on the weekends and then a link to their website. So the opportunity for you to, to see what they have to offer is there on our website. But getting back to the saving money, uh, I don't know about you guys, but every time we go through this exercise at my house, that money just gets reallocated somewhere else. So I don't know <laughs> what savings all about. How about y'all? Yep, Dan. Same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. I mean, that does seem where, and even as, and I, and I wanted to make this a whole NASCAR conversation, but it, 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 even with this next gen car, I know teams are in the long run going to save money and have less barriers to entry, but the ones that make it are going to find another way to engineer and, and squeeze speed out of something or make, you know, pit guns or just make their shoes grip the ba- ground better or, you know, a pit box that, that has a coffee machine in it. I don't know. Like, there's going to be something that could be, uh, could be a new jet, Doug. 
you know, Dan always brings it back to the Jets. He always brings it back to the Jets. Hey, Dan, when y'all went it's, to the it's races, always the, the toys. It's the toys. <laughs> when you when you went to the races in the eighties, I mean, there was a point where. I mean, did, did you fly? I mean, just like commercial, or was there a point that y'all switched to flying some kind of charter thing, or what was the evolution of that? Because it wasn't normal most to have time through the, most of the time through the early '80s, Doug. I was driving the truck. So really, then I then I graduated to flying a little bit, and uh, then I went off the road. So the evolution was short, and um, <laughs> and. And I'd love to say that I, that I flew a whole whole lot, but um, it, it it's one of those things where now you know I joke about it, but it it is a necessity anymore for the race teams, just like other professional sports. It's a yeah. necessity, and and my dad always joked about the fact of teams make more money and the toys get bigger and better. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? But it seems to yeah. me to, to bring it back to Emza Rick that. And I don't know if this it just this is just what it looks like to outside. IMSA is more of a niche. You know, NASCAR has gone from being a global phenomenon to being a little more niche now, right? It's it's it it, it and IMSA seems to be definitely you have to be into sports cars. But but has has IMSA seen any growth because of all the uh, interest in muscle cars and things like that we're seeing with young drivers now? Or uh, how how do they kind of balance the niche aspect versus it's growing versus controlling costs of these super amazing looking cars? So a couple things, and certainly IMSA has uh, has experienced some growth, and and we are really enjoying that uh, at, here at Road Atlanta and across the country. But one of the one of the really neat things that is that is coming on in, in 2023, the same rules that apply to Lamar will apply yeah. to uh, the IMSA Top Series here uh, in in the state. So this LMDH class, as they are calling it. Uh, so folks from uh, Europe and folks from uh, around the world who compete at Lamar can now come and compete at the Rolex 24, can now come and compete at Petit Lamar. And in turn, our competitors can now uh, go over there and compete as well. So there's a new element that hasn't been in place in the past that will help us grow, not just here in the States, but, but uh, you know, across the world. And then also the OEM impact and the OEM uh, response and, and interaction in this in our sport is really uh, become a very big deal. Not that it wasn't in the past, but but folks are really seeing this as an opportunity to get their their cars, their products in front of people, and it is really uh, really taken off and something that I think. Uh, Seeing a lot of a lot of the growth that I remember seeing on the NASCAR side, you know, back in the back is back in the 90s and, and what yeah. is that the NASCAR side is going back, you know, getting ready to start enjoying again. I I'm encouraged by what I see. And I think a lot of people in Daytona Beach are encouraged by what they see as well as happening in the IMSA IMSA series. Rick, uh, Rick, do you see a lot more marrying together of the different series and and different organizations to where that you can compete? in differing arenas the rules the 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 means of being able to do this i see this as the future and and that to me is what i see of the gen 7 car even yeah and so um so as far as some of the uh the crossing over of the series and stuff what i will say is that 
you know, so Ganassi, uh, while he has uh, sold his, his NASCAR program, obviously he's still involved in IndyCar and he's involved on the IMSA side. Roger Penske, no surprise that he's involved over here on the IMSA side. So got a new uh, Porsche program, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you've got you've got that crossover uh, among the various uh, 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 team owners. Mike Shank is a big player in the IMSA paddock. He also owns an IndyCar team. So uh, there's a variety. You know, you got the Jimmy Johnson, former NASCAR driver, NASCAR champion, now IndyCar driver, now IMSA competitor. I mean, so what will the guy not race? So it's uh, it, it is certainly a crossover among the uh, the the teams and the owners and the drivers and competitors that we see in in the motorsports world. I, 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 Dan and I have talked a lot about the similarity between next gen car and V8 supercars and stuff. We just keep wondering, like, with all this interest in in road racing in the United States of late, the the resurgence of Formula One, a lot largely attributed to. I, I don't. I assume this is the case. It's actually because of the Drive to Survive series with the addition of road courses on the NASCAR schedule, the transformation of the car, the growth in IMSA, the growth in IndyCar. That that was a series out to pasture for a long time, and they seem to have momentum. It just it would be really cool if there was like this one weekend where you could have like all of it at once. Like like a, I don't even care if it's a thousand dollar ticket. Well, I mean that's a lot, but you know a five hundred dollar <laughs> ticket you could see from the truck series of Arca whatever all the way up to F one and and Cup series and I that that would be cool. And it seems like in some ways they're going those directions. I, I, yeah. So that would be that would be a promoter's dream and a promoter's nightmare, probably all in the same weekend, yeah. Because, yeah. because the the excitement and the the honor and the pleasure to host something like that would just be awesome. But the but the challenges that that might present to put on as a promoter would be that would keep you up at night in, in good ways. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome in itself. Yeah. And be. what's your biggest challenge? At, and we're we're gonna go in a second because I know you've got a lot going on. You've got IMSA testing going on in the background. That's when we heard your radio going off a, a second ago. What what's your biggest challenge as a promoter today? Dan and I have talked about that from his promoting days. When we have a society that's got so much entertainment at their fingertips, why even get off the couch? What is what is the the biggest thing trying to break through and make people understand what Petit Le Mans is and and actually get off their butts and, and come up to Brazelton? Okay. So, uh, yeah, a couple things I, I think are the biggest opportunity, not just for for the race coming up next month, but for the future and for the growth of the track and and for the sport. And that is engaging the younger audience. Um, you know, it, it's no secret that uh, uh, motorsports has survived and thrived off of those folks who started coming in the '70s and it, it, when they were young and enjoying uh, what was going on here and it tracks across the across the country. I'm not the same age I was in 1970. So obviously our fans have aged a little bit. And so let's face it, a 10 hour race is a long race. Uh, and so it's a, it's how do you keep those people engaged over a 10 hour period? What are the different things that you can provide to uh, keep them coming back, but then also intrigue that guy, that lady, that kid who has the attention span of about 10 minutes instead of 10 hours, how do you get them excited and come? So that's a, that's the biggest, uh, I don't want to call it an obstacle. That's the biggest opportunity I think we have here at the track and, and, and with the sport. No, that, that's a great point. And there's so much. So that I wanted, that's what I wanted to say about, oh, a 10 hour race. What? No, look, it's an experience. You're going to switch spots, walk all around the property, get your steps in, make sure you got the app <laughs> on it to track your steps, right? And don't just stand in one spot and then and don't do any of the other stuff. Go and check out the vendors. I say this about NASCAR races, too. If you're only going to just watch the four or 500-mile race, you're missing out on the fan experience, like the deal outside, right? 
you've got it all over the track because there's the paddock and then there's other pockets of, of vendors and things throughout. Yeah, there is. There's so much to do. And again, that you're not, it's not a grandstand seat you're buying. You're buying a GA ticket. You're buying the opportunity to walk around the property, to move around the property. We have shuttles that move, that can move you around to various spots. We've got a fan zone that will, that will keep you entertained. That's got the, the latest and greatest vehicles from a, a variety of OEMs. We've got a lot of interactive activities, a kid zone. Uh, we've got more more concessions than we're ever than we've ever had. So the opportunity to eat and drink and be merry is going to be plenty. Yes, I love that. Hey, and, and look, we we've heard all the doom and gloom about Christmas presents arriving on time. Uh, yeah, bring a little extra dough with you there, or electronic payment with you. Get make some room in that bank account, <laughs> reallocating spending, and <laughs> go out and and get. If you got race fans, great place to get free swag and to buy some really cool. If you've got a a younger relative or someone that's really into exotic cars, and they, they've got the hoodies and the t-shirts. I mean, they got it all. It's, it's really cool. And, it, and for me as a race fan, who NASCAR's all, always my main P. That's the one I'm the most interested in. Coming to coming to get a little slice of this environment and having it so close to home is very appealing to me. And I'm going to do everything I can to get up there and be a part of that on Saturday, November the 13th. Yeah, we, we would love to have have both of you you come and, and join us that weekend. And, and and the irony of it is, is that, again, moving to this November date, it's the week after the NASCAR season ends at Phoenix. Yeah. So, hey, you, you're, you're sitting around going, oh, I don't have a racing fix this weekend. I don't have anything to do. I can't. What am I going to do? Well, you can come to Road Atlanta and enjoy Motul Petit Le Mans. Love to do that. Let's reset with how people get tickets, information. Is there a special ticket package or deal? If someone wants to camp, what do they do? Uh, can you lay some of that out, uh, Mr. Yeah. Promoter, sir? <laughs> yeah, they can, they can find all the information on uh, on our website at roadatlanta.com. But we do have a, a four-day ticket starting at $90. The gates open on uh, on Wednesday the 10th uh, with practice. And then we'll have some some racing beginning on Thursday. Uh, and so, again, four-day ticket is uh is ninety dollars we have a uh a brand new tower it's brand new it was built in 19 obviously we couldn't operate it in 20 because of covid that was built to host large groups well i don't know if you guys know this but in 2020 large groups were frowned upon indoors so oh, yeah? we were uh, unable to operate it as we had desired so we have a podium club in that it uh offers individual hospitality for the weekend that's a 750 dollar ticket so obviously we've got opportunities. The one-day ticket starts at $70. You can come in on Saturday and watch Petit Le Mans. And then the most important thing about our date change is it falls on Veterans Day weekend. So uh -huh. we are honoring the military uh, throughout the weekend, but we have a military special that allows uh, uh, military, active, and veterans uh, a $50 ticket uh, for four days. So then go online and find all that information at, at roadatlanta.com. That's very good. Yeah, that's right around the corner. My goodness there. Well, I, I definitely look forward to trying to make my way up there. And Dan, I, I know you're licking your chops as well. Dan, Dan any, any uh, parting shots here? Or, well, not parting shots, my goodness. Any, uh, <laughs> yeah, any, any parting uh, words, I should say? Yeah, parting words are such a beautiful facility. I'm so envious of, of you, Rick, and, and but I'm so proud of you for what you've put together there and the fact that it is such a beautiful facility. If you haven't been there, you need to go there. And if you and if you hadn't been on the track there, you need to go club day or 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 get an opportunity and go and play a little bit there, which it's it's pretty serious playing but but really enjoyable. And and I think for me that's my most favorite place to go to and, and I just can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing than making laps there. So. 
<laughs> David Reagan, um, on behalf of Front Row Motorsports last year, had some clients down there, people that sponsored the team. And I know he's not thought of as a road racer. He's still a racer, and he knows how to drive his own Ford GT around there with your helmet on, by the way. And, and so we, he, I got to take, I think it was two laps with him, maybe three laps. And, and it was in the wet, too. It was in the wet. So it was great. I think that was last September or October, almost exactly a year ago. And that was my first time being in a car around Road Atlanta. I'd seen Petit Le Mans in person a couple of times. My goodness. <laughs> Exactly. And, and like I said earlier, I've been in the sport for over 20 years and and my uh, my desire to drive or to be behind the wheel of something went away when I was about 10 or 12 years old. Yeah. So so people always ask me, do you ever drive? Do you ever ride? And I'm like, no, no, no. I got there's some there's some trained people, some people who have they, the bigger desire than I do. So I'm on the promoting side and will continue to be on the promoting side and just thank for those guys who and ladies who are willing to go out there and put on the show that we can sell tickets to. Uh, yeah, very diverse sport as well, by the way, a sports car race. It's, that's, I think it could appeal to everybody. So uh, everybody, look, look up Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. Go over there, find the tickets. Um, am I leaving anything out there, Rick? I want to make sure people are, are plugged in there to roadatlanta.com. Now, I would say that, that thank you so much for this 45 minutes that we've spent here. It's been very enjoyable, and I think it's provided the opportunity for me to inform people uh, who listen to your podcast about you know, really what happens at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. And, and you know, we're not that far from Atlanta. We used to be a long ways from Atlanta, but Atlanta continues to migrate more out this way. And it's a lot easier to get to than it once was. And by 2030, you'll be in town. So that's a... <laughs> I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's good true, or bad. For those who don't know, we'll leave with this. It's in Brazelton, Highway 53. Oh, gosh, about seven or eight miles to the west of 985. Is that... Uh, no. Yeah, that's about right. Highway 53. East, east, east of 985. East, I'm sorry, yeah, halfway between. I'm, I got it all mixed up. Yes, it's Highway 53, about halfway between 85 and 985 or so. Right. And it's right in between 53 and 211. So there is an entrance off of 211 right. going to come the track. So it's, I mean, yeah, it's exactly. That's the Highway 211 is a Chateau Alon exit. So you can come that way. You can get off at 985 near Buford and come up that way and get off at the Oakwood exit. Or you can come all the way up to Highway 53 on 85 and then we'd go, uh, go west and, and enter the track that way. That's good. Yeah. And right across the street from a Lanier Raceplex now, you know, that, uh, exactly. that, so right, right there across the street. So anyway, that, thank you so much for taking time with us, Rick and Dan, you too. Y'all are both, uh, bi busy guys. And, uh, thanks for educating us and regaling us with some stories too. All right. And thank you, Rick and Dan, for joining us today, folks. Be sure to like our five to go racing Facebook page. You can know, you know where Facebook's at, don't you? Go find it. Yeah. Go yeah, like us on Facebook. We drop the new episodes right there along with, uh, showing up in the different podcasty like places. And you can find us on WSUradio.com and, uh, go PRN.com as well when they're able to put them up there. So we, we love that. And Dan, thank you so much for making time today to join us too, brother. It's, I'm, I never take that for granted that you're able to call us in from the mountains there and be on with us. Thank you so much. Hope everyone has an awesome and safe, safe week. Uh, for sure, for sure. And enjoy the Dawsonville Moonshine Festival this weekend. I'll let you know if I'm able to make it that way. So for Eric Von Hessler, who couldn't join us this week, and Dan Elliott, I'm Doug Turnbull. Enjoy the Kansas racing, everybody, in NASCAR. And thank you for listening to 5 to Go.